Welcome to Keep You 100 Radio. I'm your host, Felicity Pointer, type 1 diabetic, certified health coach, personal trainer, and founder of Needles and Spoons Health and Wellness. Inside this podcast, you'll find the real and raw conversations around diabetes management, including the lessons that we don't learn in our endos office, my best tips and trainings, and conversations from the experts that I trust inside the community so that you can create more predictability in your diabetes management and feel empowered while doing so. Let's dive in. Alright guys, before we get into this episode, I have to let you know about an incredible opportunity for the diabetes community. So if you've been here a while, then you know that our sponsor behind the podcast is Skin Grip, and that's simply because I love their product, I love their mission, and everything that they do for the community. Now, if you've also been listening for a while, then you also know that I was diagnosed with diabetes when I was 19, so I was a freshman in college. And that whole time was very, very difficult. There was a lot of cost associated with diabetes. There was a lot of mental stress, emotional stress of that diagnosis. And this is something that Grip recognizes in our community. So what they are doing is awarding 20 students living with diabetes $1,000 scholarships to go towards their education. So I know that you might have some questions. So what makes me eligible? To be eligible for the scholarship, you must either be a high school senior or any undergraduate in a two or four year degree program who has diabetes. Now I know you might also be wondering, do I have to have type one diabetes? And no, you can be any person living with diabetes who simply can answer the question, how do you live fearlessly with diabetes? All you have to do is go to the link in the show notes, fill out the application and answer that one question in a one or two minute video. The applications are due on March 1st and the winners will be announced at the end of March. Now I know you also might be wondering, okay, I'm not a college student anymore. I'm an alumni or I've just been living with diabetes for so many years. How can I also give back? And I have an opportunity for you too. So not only is Stingrip donating $20,000 towards this scholarship, but they are allowing contributions on top of that amount. So that means those $1,000 scholarships can easily turn into $2,000, $3,000, all with donations. This money is going directly to the students. So if you're somebody who wants to give back to the diabetes community, but you're not sure which organization to give to or which organization to trust with your hard-earned money, this is a perfect opportunity because again, this is going directly to the students. If you are interested in being a contributor, again, all you have to do is go to the link in my show notes and hit the contribute button. I'm so excited for this opportunity. This is something that no other brands are doing and is just an incredible way to give back to a community that I know that they love so much. So go ahead, hit the apply button, hit the contribute button. If you haven't tried Stingrip before, go to stingrip.com and use my code Lissy, L-I-S-S-I-E at checkout to save some money. All right, let's get into the episode. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Keep You 100 Radio. As always, I'm so excited to be here. So I'm really excited for this episode because we're going to talk about a topic that we don't really get a lot of training on inside of our endocrinologist office. Um, at least it was one of the most frustrating processes to troubleshoot when I was first diagnosed. Um, and keep in mind, I was diagnosed when I was 19. So it was just a lot of figuring out my body and understanding things that I thought I already had figured out from living life um, as a normal, quote unquote, normal teenager. So the topic that we're going to talk about today is all on exercise, working out, movement, whatever you choose to do. And we're really going to dive deep and uh, really use this episode to have your exercise and blood sugar questions answered, because I know that this can be one of the most complex, one of the most frustrating and longest troubleshooting processes of our diabetes journey. So, I mean, this journey was particularly, particularly 
frustrating for me because I grew up as a gym, a gymnast for 10 years. So I'm talking nine hours a week of practices, competitions every single week, and really like pushing my body to do things that <laughs> it's not supposed to do. Flipping backwards on beams, uh, sprinting towards the vault. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Stick It, uh, there's a monologue in there and it is, it literally describes gymnastics perfectly. Um, maybe I'll insert a clip here. <laughs> Gymnastics tells you no, all day long. It mocks you over and over again, telling you you're an idiot, that you're crazy. But really like this was my entire identity. So I did gymnastics for 10 years from when I was eight years old until I was 18. By the time I was 18, my body was way too burnt out. I just like could not push it to do it anymore. But that again was my entire identity. So like, I, like again, I was at practice it, almost every single day of the week, I, my whole weekend was taken up by these competitions. And like, in fact, my middle school best friend used to call me man arms as a cute little nickname that she came up for, came up with for me. And like, that was obviously devastating. I was like a 12 year old trying to navigate a social life um, with the your passion so that was fun um and like my first aim I don't know if you guys remember a like AIM the first one of the first social media apps on your computer um but my very first screen name was gymnastics little girl yeah so I guess that's how you know kind of how in-depth I was into the gymnastics game clearly not an Olympian um it's kind of where why I'm where I am now but uh, yeah, to give you some insight there. So like fast forward, you know, a, a year uh, from when I stopped doing gymnastics and I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes as a freshman in college, this really, really broke a lot of the identity that I have had built over the past 18 years. Um, I thought that like, so when I was diagnosed, I had thought that I would never have that feeling of being strong again. And that feeling of being strong was something I never, ever had to question. But now here I am a year later, rebuilding my life because gymnastics was no longer a part of it. But not only that, but having to question like, will I ever be strong again? That was absolutely devastating. And if you were an athlete or are an athlete, I, I imagine that you can kind of identify or um, kind of connect with that. So it felt like a lot of my identity was being stripped away. Um, and like all of this was being met with kind of that, uh, that quote unquote proof. So like, like we all know, when we're initially diagnosed with type one diabetes, we kind of lose a lot of weight. So like I was, I've always been a petite person and hence being a gymnast for 10 years. Um, so when I lost 15 pounds, like I looked like a skeleton, like there was not a lot to lose. And with that came a lot of like fatigue. So like my body was not able to do things that it used to do. So even walking up and down my, uh, up to my dorm. So I was on the second floor of my dorm room or my dorm floor, and I could barely make that walk up the stairs. So all of these things kind of gradually happening that like, first I couldn't identify as type one diabetes or my body fighting against itself, but like being stripped away of gymnastics, going to college, having to re-navigate this new identity, and then being met with feeling weaker and losing weight and not feeling strong, and then being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, like my whole relationship with exercise and my body was just completely wrecked, for lack of better words. 
Um, and then there was this added dose of fear for my endocrinologist once I was diagnosed. So not only did I have this whole transition happening in my young adulthood, but then this one thing that I thought could kind of comfort me, which was exercise and feeling strong, it was now associated like I now associated it with fear because of a lot of what my endocrinologist had told me. So the very first thing that I was taught about exercise and diabetes was that it was dangerous or that I should be scared of it or very, very cautious. And when you're taught these things, those words are constantly living in your inner dialogue. And those then turn into these belief systems that you have and they carry into your life for years and years and years. So I think that's one thing in our healthcare system or just in general, like when doctors are talking to you or your parents or your friends, we do have to be very careful with our language because these things stick and they create those belief systems that again, influence our management. They influence how we approach different parts of our life with diabetes. Um, and that goes for really any any area of life, but particularly diabetes, especially when you're messing with a, you know, injecting a hormone that, you know, influences your life. Um, so basically what I was taught was that like, I had to, I had to basically prepare for the, the low situation. I had to always prepare for the low blood sugar. I had to have juice on me at all times. I had to constantly watch my meter and that in itself, all those comments and uh, like languages, it just, it didn't, it wasn't a very empowering approach. I did not feel empowered by exercise. I didn't feel motivated to go and do it after I was diagnosed. In fact, like I felt more scared to do it. I felt more discouraged of moving my body and exercising. And overall, it just, it really did not feel like something I could have back in my life, or if I did, it had to be in very small amounts, specifically not doing like gymnastics like I did. So the first few years of my diagnosis, I either completely avoided exercise in general because of that fear or because of that, like, I don't want to go through this process of figuring it out. Or two, when I eventually did integrate it, I resented it a lot because a very, um, two very opposite things happened. So number one, I would either try to go for runs because that was the only real thing left to do. I couldn't do gymnastics. I didn't know how to lift weights yet. Um, like things like Zuma classes and everything seemed uh, not, not in my line of vision yet because I was kind of like, I didn't want to bring that social component into it. But, you know, so I would go for runs. So I would go for runs around campus and I would just end up low and I would be shaky and scared. And not only that, but like, it was annoying to run with like a drawstring on your back or like a fanny pack. I thought that the fanny pack idea would be a good idea, but it just ended up like, uh, just like thumping along. <laughs> like It was actually really annoying. So there's all these added components that just like made it not worth it to me. Um, or on the other end, you know, I came home for the summer and I started doing CrossFit at, um, at a gym nearby. And the very opposite thing happened. I would just end up in the 300s after every single class. So here, am I, here I am thinking that on both levels, I'm trying to do something intentional for my body. I'm growing up with this stigma that diabetes is caused by a lack of exercise and nutrition and all these lifestyle factors. So naturally, your first thing is to think, okay, well, I need to move my body. But when I move my body, 
I'm just either getting one outcome or the other. And it's really, really frustrating when you're just trying to do something to support your health in your body. So no matter what I did, it just felt like I ended up frustrated. I ended up really annoyed and I ended up with zero answers because when I would bring it to my endocrinologist, um, I was met with those really oversimplified answers. So I was told either, you know, just make sure that you're bringing juice or glucose tabs, or I was taught, well, you have to, you know, identify your trends and go from there, or just check your blood sugar before your workout, during your workout, and after your workout, and make any adjustments. And it just was very oversimplified, and it felt like that there was no real science to it. So it was really frustrating because these one pe- these one group of people that I was trying to lean on for this diagnosis and to help walk me through it were ending ending up being less than helpful. So in 2020, this is six years after my diagnosis, I was finally so fed up that I decided to get my personal training certification because I wanted to understand that. I wanted to understand the science behind what was going on. I figured the best way to do this was to learn from getting my personal training certification. And now I'm actually in the process of going through um, diabetes, the diabetes motion academy, um, to get my level two, level two certification for diabetes specifically in exercise. And what I learned there was exactly what I expected was that there's so much more to exercising with diabetes than just have a snack before and check your blood sugars before, during, and after. So what I'm going to do on this episode is I want to take you through the top three things that I learned in my certification that can help break down the barriers of exercise for you as well. Because with knowledge is power, with knowledge is more options, with knowledge is flexibility. And I believe that with type 1 diabetes, we shouldn't have to, we shouldn't have to tie ourselves down to a structure. We shouldn't have to just exercise because it's a part of our routine. We should feel empowered by exercise. We should feel like we have the options in front of us to make it work for us and our bodies and our goals. And not only that, but our preferences. There is not just only one way to work out with diabetes. Yes, you'll see people posting all over social media the workouts that they enjoy doing, but what it comes down to is what you enjoy doing. And that took me a long time to figure out. I thought I only had to run or I only had to weightlift or I only had to do yoga and I didn't know where to go in the middle. And then I didn't know what to do from there. I didn't know how to make it work for my blood sugars. So I want this episode to be a resource for you in not only figuring out what type of movement you enjoy, whether it's going for a walk or doing CrossFit or anything in between, but I want you to walk out with understanding how do I make it work for me? So this episode will not be just giving you you cut and dry strategies of do this temp basal or do this type of exercise, but it's gonna be giving you the the key pillars to actually figure out how to make it work for your individual body and your individual preferences. So with further ado, let's dive in. So like I mentioned, I'm going to take you through three of the top three things that I learned in this journey of learning more about exercise and blood sugars. And the first one isn't really much on the science. It's more of the mindset. Um, And this doesn't come directly from a certification. So don't quote me on this one. It's more of just my top mindset shift that happened for my journey. But I learned that there was this big myth going around the diabetes community. Um, It's something that ruined a lot of my relationship with exercise. And that's that a good, quote unquote, good workout is defined by the absence of a low. So again, I was seeing on Instagram all the time, seeing people either saying that their workout was ruined by a low blood sugar or that they were annoyed that they had to, you know, make up for their workout with carbs 
or that, you know, when they did get through a workout without a low blood sugar, without a low blood sugar, that that was the quote unquote success. And so then I believed it. So every time I had a low blood sugar, I felt like I had to stop my workout and I, I didn't want to start up again because I felt defeated. Anytime that I had to eat carbs or, you know, have a little bit extra calories in my diet, I felt like I was doing something wrong, which that's a whole thing in diet culture, like that we're not even going to get into on today's episode. But, you know, it really made me have this poor relationship with exercise, not only after a defeating workout, but even just leading up to that workout, because I was already mentally defeated before the workout even happened. So one thing that I had to relearn, specifically after years of going through this defeated process and feeling like so frustrated by the process was that there are so many added benefits of movement. And I, I knew this for years, but it took me a while to really allow it to hit home. And those benefits of movement outweigh the low blood sugar. So a low blood sugar is just a moment. But when we're thinking of all the added benefits of exercise on our body, that one moment is entirely like, it's just a moment. So we know that we know these benefits. We know that you know, with, with exercise comes muscle growth. It, it comes with, um, you know, strengthening our bones and muscles. It comes with increasing our insulin sensitivity. It helps us relieve stress and then release endorphins. It helps us improve our heart health and our improve our endurance. And that is where we should shift our focus. So the focus shouldn't be around like, yes, we should be mindful of what our blood sugar is, but we should really be focused around what is this doing for my body and how is it supporting me right now? And that's taken, that's really helped me shift my mindset around exercise completely. Um, If you follow me now, you'll know that like, I'm really into weightlifting. And the reason why I like weightlifting is because I like feeling strong. It's not just for my blood sugars. It's not just for the insulin sensitivity. It's for that purpose of like, I want to feel strong. I want to feel good. Um, And it helps me relieve a lot of stress. And then once a week I go to hot yoga. And that's simply because I know that it's allowing me to de-stress. It's allowing me to ground myself. It's allowing me to, uh, you know, get a lot more of the other mental and physical benefits like increasing my flexibility, increasing my mobility. There's so many different things than just, okay, it's a way to improve my blood sugar. And that's really just been like a huge, huge wake up call for me. And that like, I, it's the same thing with food, right? Like we can eat food for enjoyment um, or sorry, we can eat food for the nutrients, but we should also be eating food for things like enjoyment, enjoyment, the cultural aspect, traditions, like there's so many different purposes for food and the same thing goes for exercise too. So I want you to, if anything, take away from this episode that exercise can be so much more than just a way to work on your blood sugars or just a way to like avoid a high or a low. So Again, if anything, like hold that sphere mantra in that like a good workout is not defined by the absence of low. There are so many other benefits of movement that outweigh that low blood sugar. So write that down, put a you know on your forehead, get it tattooed. I don't care. Please don't do that. Actually, like don't get a tattoo, but you know, put a post-it note on your mirror or wherever you need to see it, because that's been something that really, really helped me improve my relationship with exercise in general. All right. Number two, we're going to start getting into a little bit more of the science component of exercise. So when we are focusing on exercise, there are four key variables that we want to focus on when we are considering our blood sugars. And these are things that, again, when we aren't diagnosed with diabetes, we don't really need to think about. But when we are diagnosed with diabetes and we do have to focus on that blood sugar component, 
acknowledging these four components can be really empowering because what happens is that we are then able to manipulate them on our terms. When we're able to manipulate them on our terms, we have more control over the variables and we have more control over the outcomes. So when we're talking about these four key players, um, we are talking about number one is intensity. So this was something I was never really talked about when it came to exercise and blood sugars in my endocrinologist's office. So it's kind of something that I had to, I had to think about on my own. And when we go back to earlier in our conversation, when I had mentioned, okay, my runs made me go low, but CrossFit made me go high. Well, that's, that's kind of proof in the pudding right there is that we're talking about two very different, uh, different intensities in our, in our movement. So we're gonna have two very different outcomes in our blood sugars. So why we want to focus on intensity is because that is going to dictate where our body is pulling energy from. When we're, when we're looking at energy, our body can either pull from our oxygen, so our breath, hence aerobic movement. Aerobic means with oxygen. So that means that our body is using oxygen for energy. We're just focusing on our, on our breath. We can pretty much get through our workout without any added energy needed. Where on the other end, with more high intensity movement, your body can't keep up that intensity for too long. So it's pulling energy from wherever it can. So this is where we see things like glucose dump, liver dump, whatever you want to call it. We see lactate accumulation. We see our body fatiguing a lot earlier than it might during other forms of exercise. So again, this is where sometimes we see that spike in our blood sugar. So we need to focus on intensity to see what will happen with our blood sugars. And of course, we need to focus on the other variables that we'll talk about as well in coordination with this, with the intensity, but this is really number one. So when we're looking at intensity, there are three things that we can really um, use as a representation. So number one is our heart rate. If you have an Apple watch, a Fitbit, um, or you just know how to measure your heart rate on your wrist, then this is a, like a really awesome tool that you can utilize. Um, so when we're focusing on our, on our heart rate, we want to know our maximum heart rate. The way that you can easily estimate this is just by taking the number 220 and subtracting your age. So I would take 220 and I would subtract my age, which is 27, and I would get an estimated maximum heart rate of 193. So anything that I'm looking at um, in in relation to my heart rate, I'm gonna compare it to the number 193. 193 is basically the max that I can go. Um, I'm not gonna stay there for very long because your body can just not withstand that intensity for very long. So when we're measuring intensity, we wanna look at the percentage of our maximum heart rate. So again, when you're working out, you can kind of use this as a measurement. So let's just say I'm working out, um, my, my heart rate is 160, and I want to take that and put it over 193 to get an estimate of what percentage of my, my mat's heart rate I'm currently working at. So just to do the math here quickly on my phone, 160 divided by 193, that would be, I'd be working at about 83 of my maximum heart rate, which is relatively high. So I would want to kind of look at from there, okay, what's happening with my blood sugars? What can I expect to happen with my blood sugars? I might be seeing a spike here. Um, maybe there's a little bit more work to be done before I can see that spike, but we really want to look at, okay, I'm working at 83%. Now, if you don't have access to your heart rate, that's completely fine too, because there are other tools that we can use, such as number two, the talk test. 
this is so easy. You don't need any extra tools. You can use it on, you, you use it during whatever workout that you're doing. So when we're talking about the talk test, we're literally just saying our ABCs. So for example, we want to reference when you're going for a walk. Uh, let's just say you're walking with a friend. You can probably hold a pretty decent conversation. Your heart rate is probably pretty like relatively elevated. Uh, maybe you're like taking a few extra breaths, but it's probably very leisure. You're getting through a conversation, no problem. You can get through your ABCs, no problem. So you can probably literally just say A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and go on. I'm not gonna read the alphabet to you, um, but it's really easy. Whereas then think of if you're doing sprints. So you are sprinting um, and you're probably not gonna be talking too much in that sense. Or if you're doing a really high intensity circuit, you are probably more focused on getting through the workout than you are with saying your ABCs. So in this sense, you might say A, you know, like really huff and puff and huff and puff and then have to take and take another breath and then say, okay, B. And you're probably not getting through your ABCs too well. So this is basically telling us that your body in the high intensity workout needs a lot more of your oxygen and your energy than the low intensity one does. So basically you can kind of say, okay, if my, if I'm getting through my ABCs really easily, this is more of a low intensity workout. If I'm really like struggling to say my ABCs or I'm not talking at all. Yep. You bet that's more high intensity. And then the third indicator that we can use for intensity is RPE. So this is rate of perceived exertion. So there's a, there are two different ways that you can do this, um, two different kind of like uh, metrics. Um, there's one scale that goes on a scale from six to 20. And then some people just do a scale of one to 10. For simplification, we'll just say one to 10. So a scale of one would be like no movement at all. That's me sitting here recording my podcast. It's really anything but sleeping like sleeping, you're out at zero. <laughs> but one is like, you're really like, you're not doing anything that's really exerting your body in any way. Whereas a 10 is like, again, you're not talking to anybody. You are solely focused on your workout. You're, you really can't withstand that exercise for very long. So this is where we're looking at high intensity interval, interval training. And for the record, I want you to take anything that you thought you knew about high intensity interval training out of your head. Cause there's a lot of people posting circuits online that are just circuits. They're not actually hit. So when we're thinking of hit, it means that we can only do that exercise for a few seconds. Like you can't even withstand it for a full minute. It's maybe 20, 30 seconds of an exercise. So like, again, think of sprints, you're sprinting for 20, 30 seconds on, and then you're taking a good rest after because your heart rate just cannot withstand that amount of exertion for that amount of time. So that's where we would think more of like a 10. <laughs> so that's definitely higher on the exertion scale. So again, when we're ranking intensity, we can kind of do this in those three ways. We can look at our percent of maximum heart rate. We can look at the talk test and how easy it is for us to get through our ABCs. Or we can think about rate of perceived exertion, which is that one to 10 scale. All very easy things to utilize in your workout and um, just things to consider as you're kind of looking at the variables, seeing what can be manipulated or kind of what the impact of your blood sugar is. Um, so that was key variable number one. We have still have three more. So if you're, I hope you're not too overwhelmed. I hope that you're taking notes. Um, if you have any questions, of course, shoot me a message on Instagram. But number two is we need to look at the meal before. 
So the meal before is going to tell you a lot of different things um, because there are the components within that that we need to look at. So when we are, are so when we are considering our meal before, we want to take a look at the macronutrient intake. So when we're talking about macronutrients, we are talking about the carb count, the protein count, the fat count, and the fiber count. So why that's important is because it's going to let you know kind of how your body is fueled for that workout. If you're having a higher protein meal, you might have easier blood sugars to keep stable than say a high carb meal because high carbs are more in and out where protein can keep you a little bit more stable. Um, so we want to look at the macronutrient intake. We want to look at the timing. So how long before our workout did we eat? Um, because again, that can kind of let you know if you had time to digest and that can tell us our insulin on board. So we want to be very careful when it comes to insulin on board, because if, again, if we're doing something more low intensity, that kind of naturally lowers our blood sugars. And we meet that with active insulin, it can just set us up for that double arrows down, really low blood sugar. So we want to be mindful of how much insulin we actually have active in our body. So we either want to minimize insulin on board, or we want to use it very strategically to know kind of what our reference point is so that we don't go too low. Um, that's something that's going to be very individual to everybody. This is where you can also manipulate things like you can use temp basils, you can cut back on boluses, uh, depending on your trends, you can, you can use those tools to really manipulate that as needed. But that's something you should, of course, take to your endo and make sure that you're making adjustments that work best for you. Um, number three, we want to take a look at the timing of our day. Like when are we working out in our day? And I don't think that there's really a best practice for what time of day to work out. I think this is really dependent on your preferences and like your routine, but you should kind of know how to walk into both scenarios. So again, in the morning, we might have a little bit different of a response in our blood sugars because number one, we don't have as much insulin active. Um, we just did like what, eight to 10 hours of sleeping, and now we're going into a workout. So we don't have much insulin on board or active. Number two, we have a lot more stress hormones kind of acting in the morning. So we have cortisol levels, we have um, adrenaline, we might have like all those different wake up hormones, let's call them kind of acting that can also spike our blood sugar. So it's pretty common that a lot of people see more higher blood sugars during exercise in the morning. But again, that's kind of an assumption. Um, it will depend, of course, on if you're eating before your different trends, your basal rates, all those things. And then at night, we might have to prepare a little bit differently because again, we just went, what, like eight hours, maybe walking around at work, we've eaten, we've had insulin already working in our body. So we might need to treat that scenario a lot differently. Maybe we need less active insulin. Maybe we need temp basils. Maybe we need to eat before. There might be a few different ways or strategies that we need to utilize depending on the timing. And we can utilize those other two variables to combat the higher low. We can utilize high intensity exercise at night. We can, we can utilize a meal before and, uh, you know, lowering our insulin on board. It's just a matter of what your trends are and what, what variables you choose to manipulate. Again, we're all about flexibility here. So if you have options that are strategic, we don't want to change too many variables at once, but if you have different options, you have a lot more flexibility in what approach you take. And then the last variable that we want to look at is the length of workout. Because again, we want to look at how long or we'll be moving our bodies for so that will help us determine, okay, how long of a temp basil do we need? Or do I need to eat a little bit closer to my workout? What can I expect from this and how will it affect my blood sugars? 
So when we're using these key variables, I always encourage my clients to keep track of what's going on so that we then we can take these variables and manipulate them as needed, just as I mentioned. So that takes me into my last point, which is we're usually taught to manipulate our blood sugars. Right. So we're usually taught to eat something before a workout or bring a juice or again, just do anything to raise our blood sugar so we can prepare for the drop. When in reality, we should also be set up to learn how to manipulate the movement to work for our blood sugars. Because again, when you have both sides, you can really take action in whatever way that you need. So instead of manipulating your blood sugars, you can manipulate the movement, you can manipulate the meal timing, you can manipulate the insulin on board, whatever other way that can help you get through that workout. So again, the best way to do this is to create a protocol by tracking the variables and manipulating one at a time. So when we take our clients through this process, everything is just troubleshooting. Because again, it's it's really unfair for somebody just to give you a strategy that works for them. So I, I do not give my clients what I do. I don't tell them what I eat before. I don't tell them what temp basils I do. I don't give them my workouts because what works for me may not work for you. And there's a good chance that it won't because all of our bodies are completely different. So what we want to do is track those variables. We want to track the intensity, our meal before, the timing, the length. So then we can look at what happened in our blood sugars and we can decide which variable to manipulate to get the best outcome for the next time. And you can create these mini protocols. Again, I'm not saying like have a specific structure in your day unless that's what works for you. But when you have different quote unquote protocols, you can go into different situations knowing exactly how to make it work for your body. Sometimes our things gonna work a little bit differently. Of course, we can't always predict what will happen, but it gives us a lot more confidence and empowering going into the next scenario. So as a recap, again, the three things that I learned in my exercise journey, specifically through this past two years of um, really diving deep is one, understanding that a good workout is not defined by the absence of a low, that we can have so many other benefits of working out, and that's what we should be focusing on. Two, there are four key variables that we want to focus on, intensity, meal before, timing, and the length of workout. And number three, that we should know not only how to manipulate the blood sugars, but how to manipulate our workout and the variables around our workout to make it work for us and have more flexibility. So I hope that this added a little bit of a sense of clarity. I know that it's a lot of information to take in, but truly once you start diving in and in, and seeing your patterns around those variables, it adds so much more clarity around the process. But we know that this can be really hard to do alone. So we want to help you with it by inviting you into our second annual Chronic and Strong Challenge. So if you hung out with us last year, you know that we ran this challenge in February of 2021 and we are bringing it back and we are so, so excited. So the Chronic and Strong Challenge is your five-day challenge to increasing your insulin sensitivity, increasing muscle, getting stronger, and having interruption-free workouts to guide you through the process. This is not your ordinary get an email to your inbox type of challenge. This is a high level community support without the price tag. So inside this challenge, we are meeting you with high level support, high level community, high level accountability, and everything that you need, including the tools and strategies to get through your workout while enjoying it, while feeling empowered by exercise, and while 
feeling like you have a community behind you to get through it. So how this challenge works is that for five full days, we are going to be sending you interruption-free workouts that are friendly for all fitness levels. So don't worry, we will have modifications as needed, and they are all geared towards the same goal, which is muscle growth, keeping your blood sugar stable during, and overall challenging you in a way that feels good for your body. Not only that, but we're meeting you with trainings every single day. So we're going to be going live in the Facebook community, giving you free trainings on how to understand your blood sugars during exercise, how to manipulate the variables, and how to make the most out of your workout so that you don't have to be frustrated by the outcome. Not only that, but the whole thing is centered around community support. So last year, we had over 200 diabetics signing up for the challenge, and the outcome was incredible. We all hopped on live workouts. We all encouraged each other in the chat, and we made lifetime friendships at the same time, which is something that you don't get from other challenges online. And the best part about a challenge like this is that it doesn't just affect your relationship with exercise. It affects every key area in your life. So I have personally seen that ripple effect from navigating exercise and feeling stronger. I've seen it in my relationships. I've seen it in my career. I have seen it in my friendships, my family, just in the way that I treat my environment and my health. So this is not just something where we're encouraging you to come out and grow some muscle or, you know, move your body. This is something that we know impacts everybody from the inside out in their everyday life with diabetes. And the best part is we are making it absolutely free so that there are no roadblocks in getting you started. So in getting started, there are only six steps. One, secure your spot. So in the show notes, you'll see a link that says join the challenge. Click that, put in your name and your email, and that is it. Once you get that email, you can join the private Facebook group. All the resources, live streams, and community will be hosted inside of that community Facebook group so that you don't have to worry about missing anything through email. Everything will be in one solid place. Step three, join us daily. You can join us inside of our live trainings where we'll be talking about all things exercise and diabetes management, answering your questions, and coming together for those daily workouts through the challenge. Those workouts aren't live, so you don't have to worry about missing them. They'll be posted in the Facebook group. In all of that, you can get support from myself and my coaching team. So even though this is a free challenge, we're giving you high-level support. In the challenge, you'll have access to myself and my co-coach, Jess, who is a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator to answer all of your questions and guide you on your blood sugar and exercise journey. And then from there, it's simple. You can make it a lifestyle. No matter where you're starting from, we're able to give you the tools to not only create an active lifestyle that's sustainable for your routine, but for your blood sugars too. And with that, you're going to get the chance to win. So the winner or winners of the challenge are going to get a chance to win exclusive gifts from the Needles and Spoons team. So there is no way to lose here. This is an absolutely free challenge. It's going to help you learn more about your body and blood sugars, and it's going to help you create those sustainable habits and you'd get a chance to win some pretty cool prizes. So we're so excited to see you inside. We get started on January 23rd, and we're going to kick off with a live workout so that we can meet you in person, you can meet your community, and all around, it's going to be a really, really good time. So you can go to the link in the show notes, register for the free challenge, and we will see you next week on January 23rd. Thank you again for coming back for an awesome episode. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. When you leave a review, Skin Group is giving away free packs of patches every single week. So you get a chance to win a free pack just by leaving a review. Let us know what you thought of this episode and we hope to see you next week. All right. Thanks for hanging out, guys. We'll see you on next week's episode.